Well, good morning. I heard a couple of good mornings there. Thank you for that. I was telling people that um, this is my, uh, my second favorite Sunday of the year after Easter is Daylight Saving Sunday. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't mean that everyone shows up on time. It just means everyone shows up well-rested. So. <laughs> so welcome. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, yeah, this is, um, this is election week, so I appreciate Martin, you're leading us in, in thoughtful prayerfulness about how we, how we vote. Um, read the election booklet and pray and vote. But I have some good news for you this morning. The good news is this, that the greatest divide in, in the Christian church is not a Democratic-Republican divide, because the majority of the Christian church is not American. <laughs> this is the good news this morning. <laughs> um, it's, well, <laughs> it's one piece of good news. Uh, no, I, most of the church, right, is, it's, it's Central and South American. It's, it's Arab, it's Chinese, it's Russian. Um, and I, I find this to be incredibly beautiful, this reality, that the church which we're a part of. I mean, we, we, we together uh, affirmed our faith through the Apostles' Creed this morning that churches uh, across the country, throughout our country, across the world, throughout all time, have, have recited those, those words as sort of the distillation of the, the core of what we believe. And we're joining our voices to Africans and to Arabs and to Russians who believe these same things as we do, who are all part of Christ's church. Um, and while here... In this country, we are still a divided church. We do struggle with division. Uh, probably most notably, uh, the racial divide that happens on Sunday morning is not something that we can ignore. It's not something that we can just gloss over. But I do find encouragement in looking at the overall diversity of the body of Christ worldwide. I take great encouragement in that. And um, it, it helps convince me of the authenticity of Christ uh, and and his church, that his church can flourish in any culture. And the book that we're studying right now, the book of Acts, sets the stage for that. Early on, the church was very, very Jewish. And that's because Jesus and his disciples were Jews. I hope that doesn't surprise you, but that is the truth of how the church began. And so uh, early on in Acts, we have records of them going to the temple to pray, because this was part of their Jewish practice, their Jewish culture. Um, certainly, they were growing in their faith in Christ. I'm sure their prayers sounded and looked different uh, than they had before they met Christ. But overall, their lives looked fairly Jewish. And um, that was never Christ's intent, though. His intent was never simply to reform and refresh the Jewish faith, but rather to renew all things. That all of God's creatures around the world would respond to his loving pursuit of them in Christ. That's Christ's intent. And so at the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus gives this instruction to his disciples to, to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, where they were, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the world. And I imagine that the disciples heard that as, be my witnesses to the Jews who are in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world, because the Jews were scattered all around. Um, but as we'll see in today's passage, uh, that is far too limited a scope for the gospel, for the good news of Christ. So we're going to read from Acts chapter 10. It'll be on the screen if you want to open your Bibles. Acts chapter 10. We'll start at verse 1 because it's the first verse of the chapter. That's where we start. 
At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that happened and sent them to Joppa. Meanwhile, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, which I, I love that that's in there. If you find yourself hungry in the midst of worship today, know that you're in good company. He became hungry and he wanted something to eat. While the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance and he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. In other words, things that Jews were not allowed to eat. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Oh, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Lord, be our teacher this morning. Open our ears and our hearts to hear you speaking to us through your word, changing us by your spirit's power. We ask this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. I'm going to just finish telling the story of what happens here between Peter and Cornelius before we dive into it. Peter comes down, or he's kind of, he's pondering this vision that he's had, and uh, meanwhile there's a knock at the door down below, and it's Cornelius' servants and soldiers who have come. Peter goes downstairs, and, uh, and they say, hey, uh, we, we want to bring you back to our master Cornelius. And Peter says, why? It's going to like a day and a half journey. Spend the night here, and then let's go tomorrow. Uh, which already, that in and of itself, that act of hospitality is a, is a little bit radical for Peter to invite these non-Jews to come and stay with him there. So the next day, they get up. Uh, they go with his people. Uh, they depart from Joppa, go up to Caesarea. Cornelius, meanwhile, has gathered all of his family and friends. And uh, those are the best sounds in the world. That's my nephew making those sounds. And so Simon and Martin, it's good to have you. Wait, Joshua. See, there's so many names. Joshua <laughs> and Simon. Yeah. Got my own nephew's name wrong. I'm so glad you guys are here. Where were we? 
Peter, yes, thank you. Cornelius has gathered all of his family. He's gathered all of his friends to come and hear from, from Peter. He's anticipating the good news, but he doesn't know what it is yet. He just knows that everybody needs to hear it. Um, Peter shows up, and, uh, and he, he clarifies with Cornelius, hey, just so you know, this is against the law for me to come into your home to associate with you. Like, this is not uh, kosher in the very literal sense of this is not kosher. Um, and then he asks them very clearly. I, th- throughout this story, there's just a number of times where there's a very honest question. Uh, why did you want me to come? Uh, what is it that you have for me? What, what do I need to hear? Um, and so Cornelius then tells Peter his vision. And he says, we're ready to hear from you. We're ready to hear from God whatever he's going to speak through you. And Peter starts putting some pieces together. And he, say, he says, I now know that God shows no he proceeds to come in and explain, as he's already done several times in the book of Acts, to kind of retell the life uh, and impact of Jesus, the, the gospel story, to Cornelius, to his family, to his friends. The Holy Spirit comes down. They start speaking in tongues. This evidence that the same spirit that fell on the disciples in the upper room has fallen on these Gentiles, these non-Jews. And Peter's like, who can keep these people from being baptized, right? Here we go. And so that is uh, this kind of the beginning of the, the multi-ethnic nature of the church. That it was always intended to be something far beyond just one ethnic group, beyond one culture. That was to, to reach to the uttermost parts of the world, to every tongue, every tribe, every nation. Sometimes uh, we can read familiar passages and we just kind of gloss over them because they, we kind of know how they go. And I don't know if this passage is, is like that for you, but one of the things that I found that's helpful is just kind of slowing down and asking the why question. Like, why, why did Peter say this? Why, why did this happen? That's actually, if I slow down and think about it, that's kind of an odd thing. And I, this, this is a passage that was helpful for me to do that, to ask some why questions. There's some curious things that happen here. For example, why didn't the angels having the attention of both Cornelius and Peter, simply tell them the things that they wanted them to know. Cornelius, Jesus Christ is the one that you need uh, to save your life. (laughs) You need Jesus. Peter, guess what? Jews, Gentiles, all the same. Instead, right, they they get their attention, but then they bring them to each other. Uh, And they say, Cornelius, you need what, what Peter has. Peter has something to tell you. He has the good news of Jesus. You need to hear that. Peter, Cornelius has something to show you. You need to see in the flesh that God differentiates between natures, that there is no favorites. And this is how God seems to work, right? Uh, He doesn't just write in the sky, though he could, the good news. He chooses to use you and I to bring that to other people. And we see this pattern time and time again through Acts, and it just seems to be the wisdom of God to do this, to work this way. And it illustrates this other aspect that I find very comforting, that God doesn't force anyone. He invites, he woos, uh, but he honors people's freedom. This passage is sometimes referred to as, as Cornelius's conversion, but also, of course, we see a big conversion happen in Peter's life, a second conversion. 
Peter has his mind and his attitude changed when it comes to viewing people and who's in, who the gospel is for. Right, again, as I said, it could have just been the angels telling Peter, this is how it is, right? This is the new reality. Jews and Gentiles, no difference. But instead, the angels did what Jesus often did in that they told a parable. They taught by way of analogy. Um, and I, I think there's two things that I glean from that. One, I just think that this is how we as humans learn best. When we kind of bring our own faculties and our own creativity into the learning process and we kind of put some of those pieces together ourselves, the learning sticks a little bit more deeply than if we're just memorizing a truth, right? I think it also illustrates something, though, about the gospel, that it's not purely about simply obeying laws. Now, obedience is a crucial part of our response to God's love for us, our response, the way that we live. Obeying God's word is crucially important. But fundamentally, the good news is about a changed heart changed heart that then naturally begins to respond and act and live in the world in a way that honors God. So, the angels show Peter this, uh, this sheet that's full of animals. But, of course, the point of the story isn't about animals. It's about people. And so Peter uh, has this vision and um, Three times he sees this, and he's just kind. And several times after his vision, uh, it talks about Peter kind of pondering these things. He's thinking about this. He's chewing on it, right? And then, oh, there's some Gentiles at the door. I should go and talk to them, see what's up. And, oh, so they want me to go with them. All right. Well, let's see what God's up to. Uh, it, it comes back to something that I mentioned last week. Uh, I, I was talking last week about Eugene Peterson and his influence on me, in particular, the way that he uh, speaks about imagination of imagination, uh, and that my goal, whenever we come to the scriptures together, whether that's in a study or, or in a sermon like this, my goal is that we, we dive in and uh, we just sort of live in God's story in scripture, and that as we emerge out of that time, out of having our imaginations enlivened by God's word, uh, we're able to then live our lives uh, changed from a different perspective, having spent time in God's word, having our imaginations come alive. Um, yeah, so that, so that as we enter into the situations that we're in, which are not necessarily the situations we're studying in Bible, but we, we come to them with a creativity, with, with a, a, a biblically inspired imagination. And I think that that's what is happening to Peter here. Uh, I think that's why it took the angel three times to do this. I mean, there's something very biblical about the number three, right? It sort of signifies completion and wholeness and the Trinity. Um, yeah, right, yeah. There's a Peter, Peter that does always take Peter three times. Uh, and uh, also me, <laughs> at least three times. Um, right, I think that there's, there's a, a soaking in this story that's happening for Peter. The first time wasn't enough. The second time wasn't enough. And maybe the third time, he's finally starting to put some of these pieces together. That it's actually not just about animals. That it's not just about kosher law. But it's about God's heart for people, for all of his creation. 
Jews, Gentiles, everyone. Another way that we might be able to say this is that Peter found himself invited to no longer conform to the pattern of this world. Right? And the pattern of his world was this, that Jews were God's special special possession, that they were supposed to be a people set apart from the rest of the world, and that there was all these laws that kept them apart, that kept them holy and separate. That was the pattern of the world that Peter was familiar with. But instead, being transformed, being changed by the renewing of his mind, he then was able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, that everyone is invited to the good news of the gospel. Right? Paul writes these words in Romans 12, if that sounded familiar. And I think that's a pretty fair description of what happens to Peter. And I think that this is what can happen to us as well, as we soak in God's word, as we soak in the story of what God is up to in Scripture imagination comes alive. And then as we resurface into the ordinary stuff of our lives, we do so having our minds changed, right? approaching things differently. And I think that the, uh, the, three, the three times uh, is a good rule of life, that, that we should think of our exposure to Scripture like, like we're bobbing in the water, right? We descend into the God's story in Scripture, and then we resurface. And we live our lives, and then we descend, and it's like this bobbing. You know, Amelia just took swimming lessons, and there's a lot of bobbing up and down. I think that uh, would be a good rule for us as we approach Scripture. It seemed to work for Peter. So for us, um, the Jew-Gentile issue is not obviously the issue of our day. That's not the question that we find ourselves wrestling with in 2018 in Seattle, whether gospel is only for Jews or Gentiles. No. Um, But might there be other things, other areas in our lives, in our everyday lives, that this story speaks to? As we meditate on it, as we bob into this story of Peter and Cornelius, and as we come up for air and look around at our lives, and look at the people in our lives, look at the state of our city and our country, might there be some lessons for us here? Well, I, I think so. I think one of the powerful parts of the story is the way that hospitality, which certainly was a part of that culture at at, at large, but the way that hospitality serves as the context for these barriers breaking down. Peter invites Cornelius' men into his home to spend the night before they depart. Peter brings some people with him, and they end up in Cornelius' home, and they stay there. They come in. They eat together. Sharing food together was this sign that there was no barrier between. That's why it was such a big deal for Peter to go in, because there's supposed to be this barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles, but he goes in, they share a meal, they eat together, which is what you did with family or people that you considered friends. You just didn't do that with everybody. And I wonder, for us in our day and age, if hospitality might not be a huge key to the spread of the gospel in our culture. If by bringing people into our homes, if by entering freely into the homes of people in our lives, Um, that might not be the setting for the spread of the good news of the gospel. Here's the thing, though, is that this was not just hospitality with Peter's buddies, right? This was not just a shared meal with people that he was already close to. This was with people who made him uncomfortable. 
this was with people who were very different from him, who shared a very different background from him, who uh, probably didn't grow up with the same sort of mindset or expectations as him, or maybe the same worldview as him. Right? These people were different. And that, I think, is the invitation to me, and I, I think to us, that there are people in my, lives, in my life that I'm very comfortable with, that I'm very at ease with, and I want to continue to be in their lives and have them in mind. There are also people that I encounter on a weekly basis, uh, if I'm honest, that I'm, I, I'm a little uncomfortable with, right? I, I'm not sure how to be around them, or I don't quite get uh, their background. I don't know their background. They have a very different story than I do, and that sometimes makes me feel uncomfortable. And Jesus says, these are the people that you are to extend hospitality to. These are the people that you are to invite in and share a meal with. These are the people that need the good news, just as you need the good news. There's one final interesting bit to this story. Um, because the, the reality is that uh, everyone needs this good news, <laughs> right? We do. Uh, the people that are like us need it, and the people that are not like us need this good news. Cornelius, I'm not sure that there's anyone in all of, this, all of the Bible who gets as high a recommendation as Cornelius does. And he gets it from an angel, right? An angel comes down and says, Cornelius, you've been worshiping. We've been noticing. You've been praying regularly. We're, we're impressed. Uh, you give generously to those who are in need, and that's come up before God like a there's no qualifiers. There's no like, oh, but this area of your life is, is not so good. Like Cornelius gets a recommendation. Um, and yet, it's not enough. Because what brings life is not the doing of right things. What brings life is an intimate connection with Jesus. And that is what Cornelius needs. He's doing some wonderful things. No one would ever you know, talk poorly about the things that he's doing. And yet, the angels say, you need to hear from this guy, Peter, who has a message for you. Um, just a couple of chapters earlier, uh, in fact, last week, we, we talked about Paul's conversion. And it's interesting to compare Paul and Cornelius's conversion. Paul, um, and he talks about this in one of his letters later on, Paul has all the credentials that should make him, that should make God really lucky to He's a Jew. He's been trained by one of the premier rabbis. Uh, you know, Hebrew of Hebrews, Paul calls himself. Um, zealous for the law. Um, and yet Paul's the one who's uh, persecuting the church. And yet God meets him, stops him in his tracks, and sends Ananias to explain the gospel and to tell him the good news. Cornelius has none of the credentials, at least ethnically, culturally speaking, right? He's an outsider. He's a, a Roman centurion, not viewed very highly by the Hebrews, by God's people. Um, and yet his actions are really good. I mean, he's a good person. He's, he's, he's doing all of the right moral things that we would commend. And yet, similarly, it's not enough. Jesus, this relationship with the risen Lord of the universe, is the one thing that both Paul and uh, Cornelius are desperately so I, I was thinking about the way that 
um, the way that we talk about inclusivity sometimes, because there is part of this story, uh, part of this passage of scripture, the point is, is that the gospel is radically inclusive. That there is no one, no matter anything, there is no one who is outside the embrace of Christ. No one who is outside that welcoming invitation. Uh, and yet, there is also no one who has sort of, where they're already at is just fine, right? That they don't need to change. That they're just, they're doing fine. No matter their ethnic background, no matter their morality, no matter how good of a person they are, they still need that relationship with Christ. Paul later on, he talks about his righteous deeds as if they were filthy rags. It's actually, it's, I'm not even going to say, it's really extreme language in the Greek. <laughs> uh, it's, it's really quite gross. Um, that's how he thinks of his virtuous acts compared to knowing Christ, which is at the heart of what the good news is all about. Now, it's not that good actions don't matter, right? It's just that they are not what lead us to salvation. They don't, uh, they don't save us. They can't save us. Instead, through this relationship with Christ, through his work in the Spirit, our lives are transformed so that our good actions flow from that place. They flow out of the work that Christ is doing in us. That's the starting point. So I hope this week, uh, as we think about Peter and Cornelius, maybe maybe go home this afternoon and bob a couple more times in the story, just to, just to expose yourself at least to the minimum of three, right? That's our minimum. I hope that we can see, A, our own need for the good news, uh, no matter our own virtuous actions, no matter our own background or our story, um, that all of us need Jesus and his saving work, his forgiveness. Uh, we all are so desperate for that. But I also hope that we can do some serious pondering on who the people in our lives are that God might be asking us to just open the door a little bit more. Uh, the people who make us uncomfortable, whether that's Maybe that's uh, racially, right? Maybe that's someone that is just really difficult to imagine becoming friends with someone um, who comes from such a different background or looks so different from us. May God do a work in our hearts to open us. Maybe it's someone who is uh, financially in such a different place from us, <laughs> either super poor or super rich, that it just becomes hard for us to imagine uh, a connection. May God open our hearts to them. Perhaps there's someone even now that's coming to your mind as we're, as we're talking. Uh, as we come to the, to the table this morning, bring this person with you, or these people with you, as you come to receive the bread and the cup. This, this feast was this great equalizer in the early church. Right? Everybody was on the same, and still is, on the same the same level playing field when we come to the table. And that field is this, that we are in desperate need of forgiveness, every one of us. We are in desperate need of what Jesus has to offer.